0: Well, welcome to The Pond. I'm your host, Vince Walden, coming to you on the Compliance Podcast Network. Uh, With me today is Alan Gibson, Director of Legal and Compliance Innovation at Microsoft. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Glad you could be on the show. So uh, there are so many things I want to talk to you about. I'm really excited. But first, in Walden Pond fashion, we have to start off with our quote from Thoreau. (laughs) And I thought this one was Super appropriate, given uh, the uh, changing landscape and all the exciting things going on with uh, compliance technology. Now, think of this from Thoreau's perspective. He says, write while the heat is on you. The writer who postpones the recording of his thoughts uses an iron which has cooled to burn a hole with. He cannot inflame the minds of his audience. And I think that interprets as like the time to act on compliance innovations now. What do you think about uh, Thoreau's comment? Yeah, no, I I agree 100%.
1: And it's part of the reason that my role exists and a little bit of my career journey, actually moving out of Microsoft's ethics and compliance team over into our sales organization, where, as you said, I'm now the director of legal and compliance innovation. I saw an opportunity, the company saw an opportunity to help legal and compliance departments uh, think about how to digitally transform. And so in my current role now, I identify and incubate market-making opportunities for legal and compliance solutions. That's what I think about on a day-to-day basis. So what I'm really trying to do is leverage my experience from working both in, in the business. I, I've worked in sales and marketing before, but then uh, most recently I've I was paid for years to be a practicing attorney and then a compliance professional. But now really what I'm trying to do is think about how technology can help transform both the business of law and compliance and the practice of law and compliance. So think about you know how people actually run their compliance departments to how people actually substantively manage their compliance risks. And so when you, when you think about the quote and the time is now to digitally transform, where I've spent most of my time now is discussing the art of the possible with uh, customers and even internally at Microsoft to really help incentivize foundational technology investments today and to help frame up those sorts of conversations. I'm always talking about the three horizons and and. What I mean by that is, on the first horizon, you we're looking to solve immediate, important issues today, building foundational capabilities. And so, in in really in plain language, think about point solutions. How are you managing a a discrete risk within your department? The second horizon that I talk about is is really thinking about what your compliance programs or your overall digital transformation strategy is. What are the midterm? objectives. And so there I'm thinking about how you create these multi-point solutions or really connected solutions. How do you really start to take advantage of the ability to combine data, to combine technologies? And then finally, the third horizon, I think about that as as the North Star. So looking at the long-term, the innovative solutions that can really cause disruption. And this really does serve as the North Star for the first two steps. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, painting the portrait of, you know, start moving now on your digital transformation journey. These are foundational steps you need to take with your technology, with your program, that allows you to get to this long-term version that you'll often hear me talk about as creating the quote-unquote digital compliance office. And so I've, I've been functioning in a, in a role similar to this, gosh, for three or four years, first in our ethics and compliance team at Microsoft. But the decision was made to move me actually over to our sales organization, where it really aligns me better with resources and allows our efforts to scale. So I'm sure we're going to be talking about you know, where we're active in this space.
0: Exactly. And I think you just named the podcast show. I think the three arises of your transformational compliance journey or something to that effect is really powerful because I think that's it. You know, what are we doing? You've got your issues today. And I see so many clients and companies stuck in the issues today that they can't even look up to see, you know, how can we integrate, you know, how can we stop being so reactive to things and get ahead of our compliance programs to get it, you know, and, and reduce the, the inbound. So great strategy. I love these points. Yeah. yeah.
1: So with that, I mean, as you think, when I was sitting in Microsoft's ethics and compliance team, gosh, it must have been six years ago that we spent a lot of time talking about proactive risk management and thinking about what that actually means and compliance by design. We have a big initiative about compliance by design. And I spend a lot of time talking about technology and data analytics. And as the Microsoft person, obviously, I love technology. But really, the special sauce with that is being able to operationalize the insights you create and do something with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we we touched on your background, but just real quick, tell us a little bit about before Microsoft or during, what made you become an attorney and, and how did you get in your role at Microsoft?
1: A couple things, and so being a lawyer was at least my second career. As I as I mentioned at the intro, is I do have a background in sales and marketing, and uh, I actually had a sales company that I sold to finance uh, my law school education. I love nice. doing deals, and as our company grew, it moved me further away from customers working with resellers and distributors, the, the hand-to-hand being involved in deals on a daily basis. And that's what I enjoy doing. And so I decided to sell out to my business partner to go back to, to, go to law school so I could be a deal lawyer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I did do that, so I was the uh, classic big law, corporate finance, securities, M&A attorney for several years traveling on the open-ended tickets and doing all of that, but had a young family and a friend of mine had landed out at Microsoft and asked me if I was tired of being a hired gun and bouncing from one client to another <laughs> yeah. and said, hey, you can do the same sort of work, but have Microsoft as your, your sole client. And so that's when I made the leap in-house and came to Microsoft as a frontline commercial attorney And I was really lucky, and I didn't realize it at the time, that I landed in a role where I supported our partner program, our third-party distribution model, where I really got a good view into how Microsoft makes money. Over 95% of our business is transacted through third parties. And so I worked in that space on a day-to-day basis for about five years, and Really got an understanding of how Microsoft worked. Got to work across Microsoft's matrix, both at corporate, but then with uh, our field who worked closely with the sellers. One of my executives that I worked with in the business switched out of that role and went to a new organization that was called the Unlimited Potential Group or the Startup Business Group, where that group was accountable for um, bridging the digital divide. So we were looking at incubating new technologies and new business models. And I helped support that organization from a legal perspective. But what I found is that as they built out the organization, I was doing more and more business development type work. And they asked me to leave legal and then join the business where I brought my legal background and helped them set up operations, pricing, policy, licensing, thought about all of those risks and issues for the business and spent time in the business. Spent about five years in that type of role before settling into a compliance role where I came back at the time that Microsoft was being investigated for allegations that we violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And so when Mm -hmm. I came back in, what I was really accountable for was bringing my knowledge of how Microsoft makes money, my network to really help us land the sort of remediation projects and enhance controls based on what we were uncovering with the investigations. So it was a great combination of my legal background, my business background, and it supplemented it with now a compliance background. And so I spent several years doing that. But as I was going through it, you know, uh, have a passion around using technology. And I was lucky enough to help Microsoft set up its, what became its compliance analytics program.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like all those three stars had to align from the operational business to the legal to the, the actual <laughs> helping the company through the DOJ investigation to get you to a point where this role is a place. And, you wrote an article that I just saw you know, on GAN Integrity's site. It um, was called The Power of Compliance Data, where you talk about the sources of data most relevant to compliance professionals and how they can help improve business transparency through kind of the data-driven compliance program. Can you talk about what were the risk areas kind of most common that you're seeing? You know, what business processes are lending themselves best to analytics around compliance?
1: Yeah, and let me let me take a, a step back just sure. just quickly on it as you look at the compliance analytics program and incorporating data into it and taking this sort of data driven approach. There's two basic philosophies around it, and I, speaking for for myself, is I fall in one camp, and the two camps that I see are one you have access to a lot of data. If you can figure out how to break down your data silos and bring it together, you can start to see what you can identify, the sorts of risks that you can identify in the data. And it's what I say, a data first approach. At Microsoft, the approach that we've taken is we took a risk-based approach. We started with uh, our prioritized risks and worked our way back to the data that would help us manage that risk. And so what I mean by that is we looked at our risk assessments. We looked at our investigation and then basically created a prioritized list of risks and then went from this risks. What are the themes and schemes that identify the presence of that risk? So think about corruption for Microsoft. We were concerned about our sales contracts and our third party relationships what were the sorts of themes and schemes that you would see? So in the, in the context of sales contracts, it could be the use of excessive discounts or unusual discounts. So then once you have an understanding that you need to monitor for the leveling of discounts, it's like, what sort of signal would you look for? Well, it could be the size of the discount, the timing of the discount, whether it was an unusual discount from the size for that type of deal, Not just, you know, is it a large discount? Has that partner, has that customer ever required that sort of discount in the past? And then you look back and it's like, well, what data would create that signal? And so from that perspective, we like to start from the risk and work all of our way back down to the data. Because really what we're trying to do, and this is where I really try to ground people with compliance analytics, is you're trying to go from data to insight To action. And what that allows you to do is uh, help you identify, assess, and prioritize your risks, allocate your resources to manage. And what you're really doing is using the data to tell folks what's risky, why it's risky, and what you should be doing to, to mitigate that risk. So when you start with that, from that perspective, it's like, okay, how do you work back to the data and what sort of data can you incorporate into your system? So for us, I mentioned that taking this prioritized risk-based approach, we were focused on corruption and bribery, but the other sorts of risk domains that I think you can really take a data-driven approach for embezzlement and fraud, taking a look at your business conduct investigations, competition, antitrust, privacy, cybersecurity, human trafficking, workplace investigations, sustainability. All of those are risk domains that are ripe for applying an analytical approach. And so that then dictates what sort of data you're going to use. At Microsoft, we primarily started with our financial systems mm-hmm. because we were looking at our sales contracts and our third parties. And so there's a couple of things when I'm talking to customers, it's like, hey, we don't know what compliance data is or you know, how do we get access to it? Or you know, where does that data sit? Well, always ground yourself. It's like, hey, your business is not flying blind. Your business has a ton of data. You just need to figure out how to get access to it. And so for us, we're looking at our revenue reporting systems, any of our business data databases, our customer relationship management or CRM systems, our enterprise resource planning systems. Anything that is handling our payments, our wire transfers, travel gift and hospitality tools, our PO order rec systems, any of our systems for which we're handling our sales or our procurement contracts, our investigations data, our training data, any of our GRC tools, all of these have tons and tons of data that you can extract from if it supports the risk that you're
0: trying to manage. That's the case, you don't start with the data, you start with the risks and then ask the questions, where's the data that we need to determine if that risk is present or not. I see so many people start off with the data, It's like, hey, I wanna do an accounts payable review for fraud and corruption. No, no, no. no. You want to do a fraud and corruption. If fraud and corruption is your risk, it allows you to ask bigger questions of the data. So it's not just accounts payable. It's the vendor. It's the due diligence that was done. It was the, you know, all the other external, the investigations that might've been done on a particular vendor. All that's relevant when you ask the bigger risk question, not just the data question.
1: hundred percent. And what's really interesting and one thing that I think that we did really well at Microsoft when we were taking a look at the risk and the themes and schemes and talking about the signals, it wasn't the lawyers and the compliance professionals sitting in a room just brainstorming. We actually brought in people that were on the front line, whether it was actual salespeople, people that worked in sales operations, right. or finance people, internal audit and really form this collaboration or this partnership to think through what those themes and schemes were, the way that people may be trying to game the system. And it served a couple purposes is we had a better understanding of the risk, the business process, but it also enrolled them in what we were trying to do. So when we went from insight to action, they were ready for it and they were part
0: of the solution. Nice, nice. Well. Let me get to the meat and potato $60 million question basically that I've been dying to ask is tell the audience, you know, which is our legal and compliance professionals and friends out there, what is Microsoft doing with technology to help companies improve their compliance programs? Is there a new software or combination or suite of tools being lined up? Or what can you talk about <laughs> that you're planning on building with Microsoft?
1: I would love to say that there's a silver bullet or you can go talk to your local partner to buy the digital compliance office, but there's nothing there yet. But that does not mean that there isn't lots of exciting and cool technologies that you can use in your program. And so I can take it a couple different ways, but the, the, the easiest way to think about it is myself and others work directly with customers, like folks on the, on the podcast, and with partners to deliver solutions. And what that really means, it depends on what they want to develop, whether they're looking to buy something or develop it themselves. At the highest level in, in the compliance space, is there are lots of ready-made capabilities for what I'll call citizen developers for risk scoring. And so when you think about it, if you have access to data, there are really off the shelf type capabilities that with the right skill set, you can start to risk score any activities that are transactional in nature. I spent a lot of time talking about sales contracts, but you could do the same thing with your supplier, your procurement, your subcontractor contracts. So anything that's transactional in nature, you have pretty ready made availability to risk score. it. Same thing with third party relationships. At Microsoft, we spent a lot of time thinking about how we would risk score our channel partners, the people that were reselling our products. But you could do the same thing for risk scoring any of your third-party relationships, whether it was a channel partner, a reseller, a distributor, a lobbyist, services subcontractor, anybody in, in your supply chain. So that's one thing that you think about. And from a technology perspective, what you'd be using in that space is just standard tools that you have, right? You could figure out how to tie together your ERP, your CRM systems. You could ideally from a Microsoft perspective be running those analytics in the cloud and in Azure. There's ways to do it on-prem, but it limits some of your capabilities on-premise. Right. The next thing that you think about and where a lot of companies are today when they're starting on the journey is thinking about, and especially in light of the DOJ's most recent guidance, is thinking about the health and the effectiveness of their compliance programs and really trying to answer the questions of, is it getting better or worse? How do we know? Hey, can you help us see the forest through the trees of, of all of this data? And a lot of that can, again, be done with citizen developers through standard tools that you may have licenses from Microsoft for using... Power BI, which would visualize the data that you're collecting in your your spreadsheets that would allow you to identify trends, patterns, relationships to help you really extract more value from the data. But then there's other off-the-shelf type tools that will help you streamline and automate your standard processes, whether it's approval of conflicts, whether it's travel gifts and hospitality helping you to streamline and automate some of those processes while enabling you to extract more value from the data. Always happy to go deeper into the weeds of the actual technology so people can feel free to follow up with me directly about that.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, I build a lot of these compliance programs for my clients and I'm a big fan of keeping it in the cloud. And, you know, I use Microsoft Azure and Power BI for some of the solutions that I build. And it's just a great platform and it's easy and quick to deploy. That's pretty cost effective. So that's it's a good thing.
1: And with that, people can reach out to me. You know, I, I did start off by saying, you know, there's not this, these necessarily these off the self type solutions, but we have some reference architectures for some uh-huh. of these solutions right. that we will share. I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy to work with you. I'm happy to bring in other people that can work with you to help with these reference architectures to really start you on your journey or join you on your journey wherever you may be. I mean, it depends on, you know, how much technology has been built into your program, but really help you start to map out those three horizons, the North Star, so that you're making investments today in technology that's going to get you to this vision of a digital compliance.
0: Officer. Well, it's just like what we talked about in the Thoreau quote. It's like don't let the iron cool. Exactly. <laughs> let's do something, and that let us do something. Let's yes. do something, and that gets me to the last question. In fact, we're just about out of time. But just real quick, you know, as you think about our legal and compliance friends as they want to make a positive impact in the remaining half of 2021 or 2022, and probably in the context of those three horizons, what advice? What's some of the low hanging fruit or some of the quick things they can do to make an impact in their organization in the near term?
1: I always challenge people and to think about your business, understand your business and what motivates your people to uh, behave in certain ways. Really understand your policy standards and procedures. And do they make sense for what you're trying to achieve with your program? And then as you think about your risk, and maybe it's my Microsoft specific lens is follow the money. Where's the money coming in? Where is the money going back out? And that's really the foundation of taking our prioritized risk-based approach. So that's one of the high level. But thinking back to the quote is get started. <laughs> get started on your digital transformation, thinking about you've talked about it as your compliance 3.0 strategy is think about that North Star and where you want to take your program and take the step, the first step on your journey. It's not some master move where all of a sudden you go checkmate, I have an effective compliance program. It's all of the series of steps that accrue to that. And just getting started on the journey
0: it is a journey it's not a project it's one of the things you know it's there's no start and stop we can't say we're done with compliance let's stop monitoring <laughs> yeah
1: w- <laughs> w- wave, wave moment our moment hands moment. clap them and say we're done we're yeah good. we're done
0: yeah, yeah no way the risks are always changing which makes our job so much fun so with that alan thank you so much for joining me on the pond and you are always welcome back if there's any new announcements or things that microsoft is coming out with i'm sure the audience will be uh, very interested in learning. So we'll definitely have you back out. And with that, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening on the Compliance Podcast Network. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Walden Pond Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.